Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi there, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. Travel has come raging back, and along with the big increase in numbers has come concern. Once again... 
about over-tourism and managing growth. That's compounded, of course, by serious staffing and equipment shortages throughout the travel and hospitality sector. Everything and everyone, from airline pilots to hotel housekeepers, from restaurant workers to rental cars. In Europe, Italy has now banned cruise ships from the main waterways of Venice. In Hawaii, the mayor of Maui has made an urgent appeal to U.S. airlines asking them to actually reduce the number of their flights. The island just can't handle the numbers of incoming visitors. I'll discuss this double-edged sword, how tourism-dependent economies can responsibly achieve balance with the mayor of Kauai, Derek Kawakami. Then, my conversation with Chandra Birch from the Sustainable Tourism Association of Hawaii on her definition of over-tourism and is there really a solution? And finally, want to guess the number one complaint filed by passengers with the U.S. Department of Transportation in the last year? It's the big R, refunds, and the inability of so many of us to get our money back on flights that were canceled by the airlines through no fault of our own. Scott McCartney, the travel editor of the Wall Street Journal, has tracked all of this. First up, from Kauai, Mayor Derek Kawakami. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Speaking of solving problems, my next guest knows a little bit about that because she's the mayor of Kauai as it's experiencing another wave of growth. Uh, As you know, uh, every airline has targeted Hawaii. Um, Southwest may even become the the dominant carrier in Hawaii uh, for an airline that uh, never was adding more than one new route a year. They've added 17 this year alone, many of them in Hawaii. Please welcome the mayor of of, of Kauai, Derek Kawakami. Aloha, everybody, and thank you for joining us. There you go. Aloha right back. You know, I've been coming to Kauai Kauai for 40 years, um, and I've seen a lot of the growth. I've seen a lot of the destruction during the hurricanes, Aniki, of course, one of them. but you can recover from a hurricane, and you've done it every time. Mm-hmm. How do you recover from over-tourism when that was on the agenda before the pandemic, right? And then everything gets shut down, and the tourism industry on a global level has been given the chance for a reset, for a do-over. And there's this double-edged sword that is not, no, no monopoly here. It's, it's worldwide between the economic needs of the community and the environmental responsibility needs of the people who live here. That's a tough question. I mean, a, a hurricane is one thing, a flood is another thing. They are relatively simple issues to deal with because you, you have a response time and you rebuild. Um, in the case of bringing balance to the quality of life that our people enjoy and what's important to us culturally, um, the visitor industry, as you say, is a double-edged sword. It provides many of our jobs as far as revenue to provide services to our community from a government standpoint. It is, and I'm not going to say a necessary evil because the visitor industry itself is not an evil industry. I myself am a wanderer. You know, my mom would say that this kid has got his head in the clouds. And in fact, that's what he told, that's what she told my wife when I first introduced her. To my mom she said you're getting involved with a free-spirited person so just know what you're getting yourself into we live to travel ourselves i think the big challenge 
is at what level do we have capacity issues with the infrastructure that we're dealt with living on an island real estate is very scarce and so we don't have the ability to grow our infrastructure to meet the capacity needs and um, for many people myself included we do feel that the scales of balance have been tipped to one direction where we are almost at a bubbling over point and you can tell by the public sentiment as to um, how the general public feels about it. So not a necessary evil, but it is something that is complex and it's something that can only be achieved if the visitor industry itself decides to meet us halfway. It has to be done internally. Absolutely. Uh, how are they doing in that? Well, I think right now what we're faced with are a few different things. One, We've had about a year and a half where the people that live here on Kauai got to experience what Kauai was like, uh, perhaps when I was growing up even, um, even before that. I have friends of mine during the pandemic who were sending me pictures every three or four days of empty beaches yep. and calm water and no traffic. And they were bragging. Yeah, I mean, it was nice. I mean, despite the fact that the economy was suffering and many people were sitting on the bench waiting to get back to work. The fact of the matter is many of the concerns that we had were really brought to light by seeing basically the visitor industry evaporate overnight. The traffic issues, um, finding parking spots at beaches, some of the conflicts between visitors and just the cultural differences and the misunderstandings. It went away. It went away. And so I think what ha what's happening is people, like anything else, need an acclimation period, which never happened. It seemed like the floodgates were opened overnight, and everybody that was waiting to get to Kauai came all at once. It didn't seem like it. It happened. So it was shock and awe. Yeah. And I really think that we have... Uh, as an island, been able to not let a good disaster go to waste. Meaning, we took what we learned from disasters, not just to not just to recover from the disaster itself, but to actually utilize the disaster to do things differently in many different ways. And a case in point is if you haven't gone out to Hyena in the North Shore which is a challenge to get to right now because that's a community that was faced with a tremendous landslide earlier on in the year. Um, the way that the state and the county and the private sector were able to come together to redo how visitors get to enjoy that beautiful place, um, that is something that we are planning to do island-wide. If you were to say that was a pilot project, it was indeed a pilot project. Unintended, now, unintended. Yeah, unintended, but things happen for a reason. I'm a true believer of that. We're talking to Mayor Derek Kawakami here in Kauai, but you still have to educate people. You have to educate your visitors, and you have to educate the people who live here as to how you come up with some sort of an acceptable balance. Um, I remember when I first came to Kauai, you know, you, weren't not, you were not known then, nor are you known now for freeways. You're not known for a big road system. Uh, rush hour was not really rush hour. Now... You know, you've had a combination of things that have happened uh, in terms of natural disaster with a, with a landslide, which means you've got convoys going. If you don't get there at the right time of the day, you better bring a book. 
So that we know. But let's assume for the sake of this discussion, they fix the roads, right? It still doesn't fix the numbers. No, it doesn't. And I'll, I'll tell you, to be honest with you, you know, when, when we ask and drill down to what is bugging people, it, it's relatively simple. It's the cost of living. It's uh, the traffic. It's quality of life. People want to get home to their kids, but they're frustrated because it's gridlocked and we're on an island. And you cannot solve traffic by adding more lanes and building more roads. I mean, there's traffic and transportation experts that will say trying to cure traffic by building more roads and adding more lanes is like trying to cure obesity by loosening our belts. It, it doesn't solve the problem. What needs to happen is a whole paradigm shift on transportation. And I think that is what we're striving to do here on Kauai. We're I trying mean, there, to- There was a time. Yeah. You remember, people could take the bus. People could take the bus. You know, people could take a shuttle. And we're revisiting what worked in the past and saying, let's go back to those days. Let's, let's start to utilize a group experience. Let's be smart with our resources. And let's educate our guests on what it is that really represents Kauai. Culturally, we are an island that's built on respect. You know, if people wonder why we took the route that we did as far as our COVID-19 response, well, culturally, we hold our elders in the highest regard. And they were the most vulnerable. Absolutely. And so I think when we can educate our guests about who we are as a people and how they can be a part of Kauai and not just be visitors, but truly enhance not only their experience, because that's important, but to really be embraced by our local people, it can happen. I mean, it happens every single day. We see visitors every single day that just want to fit in, that just want to be respectful, that understand that when we go to people's homes here on Kauai and in Hawaii, we take off our shoes as a sign of respect. So they come here, they stay on the beaten path, they take their shoes off when they enter, and they do quite well. They have a wonderful time. Those are the people that will come year after year after year. The baristas remember them, their servers remember them, and that's the type of guests that we want. We want somebody that truly can call Kauai home because I will tell you this, as mayor of this island, as soon as they touch our soil, they're one of ours. I'm gonna take care of them as if they lived here their whole life. If they need help in our ocean, our ocean safety folks will go out there, put their own lives on the line to rescue our visitors. If we have to fly a helicopter into the mountains to take care of our people, we will. And all we ask is that when they come here, that they understand that they are a part of our ohana and it boils down to being respectful and we will get along. So as somebody who I could claim now is part of your ohana, right? Oh, you've been here longer than I have. Well, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But here's my question. What beach are you going to take me to? The one you want to show me? The one that I want to show you? Yeah, which one you want to take me to? Any which one that has a lifeguard stand. That is where I would take people that I care about that are visiting. Because, but where's your secret beach? Where do you want to go? Uh, I'm not going to give you my secret Come beach. Come on. Because I will tell you this. There are certainly places that quite frankly would would be my favorite place but they're my favorite place because you don't know where it is all right so but you're telling me mr mayors you don't want me there no nah, it's Come not on. that i don't want you there 
You'll get there if you if I'm really nice. If you, to you earn your way here, I think you'll get there. <laughs> so if we, if here's we build the, the trust, we will bring okay. you there. So I, I'm now going to interpret this. I'm Ohana, but I'm not there yet. You know, like anything else, I was not brought out to the best surf spots when I just got my first surfboard. And I, you know, and I'm from here. You know, there's a rite of passage. You, you, everything is boiling, boiling down to trust. My thanks to Mayor Kawakami. So what defines over-tourism? And what, for that matter, is an acceptable definition of sustainability? Chandra Birch of the Sustainable Tourism Association of Hawaii not only has those definitions, but knows the practical applications. My next guest is, uh, her official title is, she's the general manager of Holo Holo Charters, which I'm going to talk about in a second, but she's also the board member of the Sustainable Tourism Association of Hawaii. No better time to be on that board than now, as we're emerging from COVID-19 with a vengeance, and planes are full, and thousands of people are coming to Hawaii, not just this to this island, but to all the neighbor islands. Uh, you know, I mentioned Holo Holo Charters. I go back 40 years in Kauai, and uh, when I first came here, uh, I will say this as a sort of a, of a little bit of an admission. You could do things then that you can't do now. Um, you know, they would helicopter me over to a beach on the on the Nepali coast and, and on the, along the Kalalau Trail and drop me off with a picnic basket and come back and get me five hours later. Those were great days when there were not a lot of people doing that. Well, you can't do that anymore. You can't just go hike the trail. You need a permit. And you have to be a good hiker because it's narrow with incredible switchbacks. And people, I was with the fire department yesterday. They had to do a, a helicopter rescue of a hiker who just couldn't make it. Uh, I mean, not a life danger, you think, but they just couldn't get out. Uh, it's beautiful. It is hauntingly beautiful. But we're dealing now with more responsible travel. And I went out with the Hola Hola Charter guys. And, um, and literally, you know, you're going inside the caves. It's amazing what they can do if you do it responsibly. And so uh, my next guest, Chandra Birch, is the actual uh, general manager of Holo Holo Charters, in addition to sustainable tourism. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself, but most importantly, everybody that I'm talking to on the island is concerned right now. They're concerned that as tourism is opening up, as Hawaii is relaxing those restrictions about the testing and, and vaccinations, that you're going to be inundated. Well, you already are to a certain extent, uh, because people have done their homework, they've gotten their vaccination, they've played by the rules, and they're coming over. New airlines are starting, right? Southwest Airlines is coming in now. Their planes are full. So from a numbers perspective and a business perspective, that's a good thing. From a taxing of resources perspective, that may not be a good thing. Indeed. So you have the double-edged sword. You want to you sell your charters, you want to get people out on the water, and at the same time, you don't want to lose what the island has to offer in the first place. So tell me the challenge for you right now as we're emerging from COVID. Yes, Kauai is a very special place, and anyone who visits really can pick up on that pretty easily. Not just the natural beauty, but the heartbeat of the island and the energy that's here and the people who make this place home. And so we're always kind of on that constant finding a balance of what's a, a good level of visitors, because... We need the visitors. That's an important part of our economy. It, it drives your economy. You know, people don't realize that globally, 
the GDP contribution of travel and tourism is about 10 and three quarters percent, which in itself is huge. It's not 10 and three quarters percent in Kauai. It's much higher than that. Definitely. Yes. Of course, we have agriculture and, and construction and those kind of things as well. But the visitor industry and I mean, we all saw how important it was during this COVID pandemic when all of a sudden it the switch just got turned off and we were all blindsided by that. And all of a sudden, yeah, it was kind of nice. So we, the beaches are quiet and the roads are empty, but everyone was out of work. So there's obviously a good balance that we need to find. And that's an important part of any business. You know, sustainable tourism and sustainable business is should be everybody's goal, right? A business is designed to be sustainable. You want it to perpetuate beyond you. And you've been here long enough to see all the change. You came here when you were 12 years old. Yes. Right? So you've had, you've had the benefit of seeing all that. But at the same time, you know, it's one thing to be out of work from the very thing that could also make you out of work if it's not managed. Definitely. We depend on the ecosystem. We do boat tours. We do snorkeling and sightseeing tours around the island. And we utilize these natural resources. And that is our destination, is to go visit and experience these beautiful places. So if we don't manage them properly, not only won't they be there for the business sake, but for the health of our world, our people. Um, and that's really... in grained with the Hawaiian culture here. And it's such an important part is to respect and care for the land, the sea, and the people. You know, it's an interesting development. Uh, recently, the mayor of Maui, you know, you have all the new airlines coming in mm -hmm. with more and more flights. He's now asking the airlines to limit their flights, that there are too many people coming. Could that be a problem here? Yeah, it's a very interesting conversation because, of course, we're not able to regulate that. You know, the FAA controls how many flights are allowed to land here. So... The airlines can keep adding flights, but we might not have the resources to accommodate those people. And it starts with hotel rooms and car rentals, which we're seeing a huge demand right now and no supply available. How about zero? Yeah, <laughs> zero negative supply. I mean, people are literally renting the cars from their backyard. Um, so it's definitely going to change the landscape of how travelers visit Kauai, which I think is a great thing. And it's a great opportunity for us to really have a push for something that needed to happen for a while. Um, I hear about visitor travel 40 years ago, and it was very common for people to take buses to all the different destination sites. Yeah, it's called mass transit. Yes. Why wouldn't you bring that back? Exactly. So I really hope that we use this lesson as an opportunity to create something new that really works for our economy and our system. I mean, even before the pandemic, right, what was the buzzword? Over-tourism. Yes. Um, they were talking about putting turnstiles in St. Mark's Square in Venice. Mm -hmm. They were talking about restricting uh, cruise ships there, which they're doing now. Uh, everybody said they didn't want to become another Barcelona, right? I mean, I mean, it's it's that crazy. How How bad does it have to get before... You do something. Exactly. And, you know, you start to lose the heartbeat of the place when it's crowded with people that aren't from there and that are just there to get the picture or to visit the iconic place. They never get a sense of the actual spirit of the location. And I think that's what's different about coming to Hawaii in particular and definitely Kauai um, is you're you can't not see it, you know, you can't not feel it here. Uh, so I think it's important that, you know, especially with an us as an activity provider, we get so much time with our visitors. We get to spend three, five, seven hours with them. So our goal is to really make a connection with these 
people that are here experiencing the Nepali coast for the first time, seeing wild dolphins for the first time, all of these great attributes that really can help them connect with the bigger picture of, oh, I shouldn't be using so much plastic because look, it ends up in the ocean and it harms our marine life. Or there's refriendly sunscreen available that I should really consider um, and how that impacts the resources directly. So if we can touch and expand a few minds on our tours, that's really our goals. And that's educating your visitors. But in all fairness, you also have to educate your own vendors. Definitely. Yes, yes. It's very important that we pay attention to what we're providing, how we're providing it. Um, And that's a big part of what the Sustainable Tourism Association of Hawaii does. And they are one of the only uh, certification providers in the U.S. and they have a recent partnership with Travel Life as well for an international standard of recognition um, to make sure that operators are conducting themselves in a sustainable and responsible way. I mean, for so many years, ministers of tourism, they, they either sank or, or, or they drowned based on number of visitor arrivals, how much they spent, what their average stay was, those have to be thrown out the window now. You've, you've got to read. We have to redo this. Definitely. And that was a big conversation pre-COVID is we were seeing that more people were coming, but they were spending less money here. So all of a sudden, you know, we're being taxed on our resources, our natural park, our parks, our systems. They can't handle the physical number of people. And then we weren't getting the same economic benefit that we were even 20 years ago. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. My thanks to Chandra. It's the biggest source of complaints among U.S. travelers. Airlines holding on to about $10 billion of their money for trips that were canceled due to the pandemic. The Wall Street Journal Scott McCartney has the latest update and the latest numbers, and maybe even some good news. My next guest, a regular not just on this show, but on our uh, public television series called The Travel Detective. He's the travel editor of the Wall Street Journal, Scott McCartney. Hey, Scott. Hey, Peter. How are you? I'm okay. I, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm going to believe what I'm reading here, it seems to be, please correct me if you think I'm going down the wrong path, that the U.S. Department of Transportation has suddenly become rather pro-consumer. Well, I think we need to wait on that a little bit and see some more action. But you, I think you're, you're correct that there has been more action that is pro-consumer. There just hadn't been any action uh, that was pro-consumer for uh, a number of years, not just the previous administration, but really b- before that. And, uh, it, you know, last year there were 102,000 complaints filed by travelers to the Department of Transportation, almost all of them about refunds. Uh, a huge issue that that we've talked about, that airlines were clearly violating federal rules and the DOT did nothing. Now the DOT is starting to do things, um, proposing fines against Air Canada, for example. And so, yes, um, more, more action, more pro-consumer action, uh, but uh, there's a whole lot of issues that still 
still await action. You know, I'm thinking about this. You're right. The, the, the number one complaint was about refunds. Still is, by the way. Based on what I'm th- what I'm hearing, the airlines may still be holding about $10 billion worth of passengers' money in one form or another. Uh, one of the big violators of that uh, were foreign carriers who would make the claim that they weren't under U.S. DOT jurisdiction when, in fact, the rules are quite, are quite precise. They say that any airline flying to or from or within the United States is under that rule. And what the rule says is that if the airline cancels your flight for just about any reason, you're entitled to a full refund uh, to your original form of payment, even if you bought a so-called non-refundable ticket. So a foreign carrier that lands in Los Angeles or New York or Dallas is under those rules. One carrier, Air Canada, claimed they were only under Canadian jurisdiction and refused to refund any money. We all know it just happened a couple of weeks ago. The U.S. DOT has now proposed, it hasn't enacted it yet, but it's proposed a whopping $25.5 million fine just on Air Canada. Yeah, yeah. And Air Canada, once once they got a bailout from the Canadian government, uh, they said, okay, we're going to, we're going to um, offer refunds. Um, but they, they, you know, I think they've been fairly quiet about it. Um, they actually had a deadline for when travelers should apply for refunds. And, and these are refunds that, that people were entitled to. And, and you're right, foreign carriers, um, certainly there's still a number of foreign carriers that, that uh, have refused uh, refunds to people. There were also, I think, a lot of shenanigans going on where airlines delayed actually canceling flights uh, and pressured customers into taking vouchers, rescheduling. You don't want to go, do you? Here, convert your ticket into a voucher before you lose it. Um, and then once uh, the vouchers were issued, then the official cancellation would come through. Um, so they tried to avoid actually having to um, send cash out the door um, by um, fiddling with their schedule to the disadvantage of, of travelers. There was, there was a lot of stuff that's going on that, uh, that I think DOT really ought to uh, go back and take a hard look at uh, a whole lot of airlines and what they did. Yeah, you're right. And the, and the interesting story about that is, you know, you mentioned Air Canada getting the bailout from the Canadian government. When they got that bailout, they reluctantly then agreed to give refunds to Canadian travelers. And they and they still kept on saying they weren't going to do it for Americans. Now, in the last couple of months, uh, to their credit, I suppose, Air Canada has been issuing refunds to American passengers, even American passengers who canceled their flights. Not that Air Canada did, but the Americans who canceled their flights. So they're, I think they're bending over backwards now in an attempt to try to mitigate this fine before it's finally assessed. Yeah, well, they, you know, they had an awful lot of angry customers. And it, and it really was silly because if the border is closed, you're not going on your trip. And so it, it's not the consumer's fault that they're canceling. Uh, it's, it's government action. It's, it's the airline action, uh, consumers. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, after 9-11, uh, airlines uh, paid out refunds uh, to, to people. Um, it was required by the U.S. There was no exception in U.S. rules for emergencies for uh, even for pandemics. Um, and that was uh, a lot of airlines said, oh, well, the rules don't apply in a pandemic. Well, in this case, they do. And before before we change subjects here, you know, now that you have, you know, for, for at least U.S. carriers claiming no ticket change fees, then I tell everybody if you're flying overseas, at least for the short term, 
fly on a U.S. carrier because if you have to change your flight or if the flight is canceled, you have a reasonably good chance of, of maintaining your money, either in the form of, of a travel fund or getting that uh, getting that refund. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. Um, it, you know, airlines have, have, <laughs> have gotten a little tricky with, with the, oh, we've eliminated change fees. Um, several airlines with their basic economy tickets um, do have have change fees included, or they're they're absolutely not refundable. Um, so you do have to be careful when you book these days. And in fact, let's talk about that. Uh, if you take a look at what a basic economy ticket costs on some on some routes, it's about thirty dollars less than a main economy ticket. And for that thirty dollars, that's your insurance. That's your insurance policy. So that if you buy that basic economy ticket and you don't take the flight or you cancel. Guess what? The the change fee there wipes out what you paid for the ticket. So uh, it, it's a sad statement, but you might want to just spend the extra thirty bucks and buy a regular coach main cabin ticket, uh, which uh, you know at least protects you in the short term. It, you know, I I tell my children, um, do not buy basic economy tickets. I, I think <laughs> friends don't let friends fly basic economy. <laughs> now. One more item up for bids here with the U.S. Department of Transportation. Of course, when more people are flying, the airlines, just basic math, are misplacing more luggage. Uh, they've done a better job over the last 10 years. There's, there's no doubt about it. But here's the thing. The airlines are going to charge you $25 or $35 to check a bag. And if they don't deliver the bag when you land, why would you want to spend that money? Because you didn't get the service to which you contracted for. The DOT is now proposing a new rule that says if they can't get you your bag within 12 hours of your arrival time, they have to refund the, the charge they had you pay to check the bags. Yeah, and it, it's nice to see some action on this finally. This is actually something that Congress had, had pushed the DOT to do a long time ago. And, it, and it's common sense. You, you pay a bag fee, you get, you get it. Most airlines, I think, because of the the bad publicity about uh, charging people fees for for bags when they didn't deliver the bags. Um, most airlines uh, did come up with a policy: "Oh, we'll re refund you the fee." Some some didn't, and it, you know it's and their argument was, uh, "Well, you're going to get the bag eventually." So you know all all we promised <laughs> was we, we'd get your bag to Cleveland. Um, but we didn't promise whether or not it would go through Honolulu or not. Um, and, uh, or, or catch up to you four days later. Uh, but, but as you say, that's not the service you paid for, right? You paid for the bag to be on your flight. Um, and if, if, uh, you know, the deal, if the airline doesn't deliver that service, then you shouldn't have to pay for it. Uh, and the, the, it, it just, you know, it's, it's, you're still going to be upset that your bag didn't get there. Um, but you might as well have the satisfaction of, of getting the refund. And we're going back to the future here with pre-pandemic behavior. With so many people filling up airplane seats, the, the, the planes literally cannot handle the, the carry-on bags. And uh, in fact, I, I published a chart last year that I was able to see it at a Delta Airlines check-it counter. Uh, that basically admitted that fact that, you know, you have 140 passengers on an A320, they can maybe hold 74 bags in the cabin. I'm not talking about in the cargo hold, I'm talking about in the cabin. So now what are we seeing? We're seeing bags on jetways now that are supposedly being checked for free. And guess what? Some of those aren't arriving. Or even worse, the bag sizers have been brought back to the gates 
and people are being charged now to check bags, but it's not equal. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out, and I should also say that this rule that we're talking about is not in place now. It's proposed for 2022. So uh, stand by to see what happens. And what, and what Scott just said, by the way, we're talking to Scott McCartney from the Wall Street Journal, what Scott just said about the airlines, some of them giving you the money back if they misplaced the bags or some of them not, they don't volunteer that. you got to ask for it. We've been speaking to the travel editor of the Wall Street Journal, Scott McCartney. Scott, two words for you. Sick passengers. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I used to think that, you remember the norovirus on cruise ships? I used to think that the reason why so many people would get sick uh, with this intestinal flu was because the cruise lines had such a draconian refund policy that five days or four days or three days before a cruise, somebody who might have had the flu or who was not feeling well, knowing they weren't going to get their money back if they canceled, said, I don't care, I'm getting on the cruise anyway, and went right to the salad bar. Um, And so we have a similar situation on airplanes, don't we? Yeah, we really do. Uh, And, you know, I think most of us, if, if you fly regularly, uh, you you know you get sick right uh, before we were wearing masks the common cold the flu whatever it might be and, and I think this issue has taken on far greater importance um, because of the pandemic but the the reality is airlines encourage you to get on the airplane sick some have have waived change fees that's great um, but they haven't waived the policy of charging you a fare difference. So, so you call the airline and you say, "I've got influenza. I'm contagious. I can't can't fly." And they say, uh, "Sure, Mr. McCartney, you can fly." You know, when do you want to go? Uh, okay, I think I'll be better three days from now. Great. Um, here's a seat for you. That'll be two thousand dollars because the fare for three days from now, a walk-up fare is much more expensive than the fare you bought four weeks ago or four months ago. or well, yeah, that's, that's enough to make you sick. That's enough to make you sick. And that's enough to say, you know what? I'm coughing and sneezing, but I'm getting on that airplane uh, because I'm not going to pay $2,000 or more um, to, to change. And, and I think airlines have got to find a way. This is a very difficult problem. There's not an easy solution, but it is one that needs to be addressed because I think travelers, are far more anxious about sick passengers these days. Somebody gets on an airplane coughing and sneezing and, and whoa, the hair starts standing up on the back of your neck, right? That's different than what it used to be. Uh, and th- this whole issue of charging you uh, what can be a very hefty financial difference to do the right thing and and delay your travel until you're healthy or at least not contagious uh, is, um, is, is something we got to figure out. But let me take uh, the, the other side of the story here, and that is the airlines that have complained to me for years uh, th- about the phony doctor's notes, you know, about that everybody get. It's, it's amazing, you know, how many people get sick on a certain day. And what do they do about that? How do they vet this? How do they come up with a with a credible set of standards that they can rely upon? You know, you know it's very difficult. Um, and and that's right. And I don't think airlines even want to get into the business of, of doctor's notes. I mean, we saw with emotional support animals how, how easy it was to get a doctor's note on the Internet, right? Uh, and, and, and that became, it just made a mockery of, of the rules. So I don't, I don't think this, this is about doctor's notes. Um, I, and, uh, you know, I think most of us 
you, you want to get home when you, you want to get home. But what about the businessman that needs another day to close the deal? Or, uh, you know, the, the traveler who meets somebody interesting in a bar and says, hey, I want to stick around for another day or two. I'll, I'll just say I'm sick. Um, that, that, that's, that is a real problem. And if you, if you allow anybody to change their flight for, you know, any, at any time, just by saying I'm sick, then you've completely changed the pricing structure of the industry. Um, so it's a, it's a very complicated, difficult problem. Um, but at the same time, it is a public health issue that we got to figure out. Well, I'll give you a suggestion. What if somebody is, you know, sneezing and wheezing, uh, and they call the airline and they have the appropriate medical note? The airline could easily say to them, "We'll be glad to put you on another flight. Space available only. Uh, we can't guarantee you a seat, but you know, if you want to stand by, we'll do that. But we can't guarantee it. I mean, maybe that works." Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's a that's a really good start. Um, another idea I like is uh, give give me one or two free changes a year, um, right? So I'm a I'm a frequent flyer on an airline, and uh, and I'm going to use my one or two free changes uh, for when I get sick, um, or you know if I if I don't after that I got to pay I got to pay the fare difference. I I think that's um, that would be a benefit to allow people to say, yeah, once a year I'm going to get the flu and I'm going to need to change. And, and you've accommodated me for that. I would certainly be in favor of that. It's, it's, it's a, it's a much more equitable way to approach it. And it also recognizes people who are least likely to lie. Yeah, that's right. And if you, you know, if you go ahead and, and blow your free change on, you know, a, a weekend at the beach, uh, and, and you want to stay an extra day, um, fine. Then when you do get sick, old, old rules apply. You got to pay. <laughs> I love it. Old rules apply. My thanks to Scott, to Chandra Birch and to Kauai mayor, Derek Kawakami. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion travel podcast. For more conversations with the world leaders in travel, as well as answers to your questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com. Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.